morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, three tools will try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Go ahead and give us a call. 291-6901. Of course, we're live and in person this morning. That we are. And if you use our area code 225, you can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. That's right. We sure wish you would if you happen to be from the frozen north or the sunny maybe, south. <laughs> maybe the frozen south this morning. Yeah, it's pretty much frozen south as well. Yeah, I got up this morning and coming through the French Quarter, it was 25 degrees. Oh, yeah. Which is highly, highly unusual. In fact, there was two, gen- definitely. two gentlemen in the parking garage from Michigan. They were saying, wow, I thought it was supposed to be warm. <laughs> <laughs> Wrong. This <laughs> is more like being home. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, it's pretty cold pretty much across most of the United States here. That it is. Today. Where if it's not cold where you are, you give us a call and tell us about it. <laughs> <laughs> it might be in South Florida That's or somewhere right. in Mexico, maybe. Plenty cold here this morning. Boy, we, uh, I know when I got to the house this morning, it was 23 yeah. outside. Yeah, that was... Ice on the sides of the roads and mm-hmm. all around the puddles that said rain yesterday. So everything that hit the ground and stayed liquid froze this it's morning. It's not liquid anymore. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, give us a call. We'd be glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. You know, I was coming in this morning and I was behind Lexus. And apparently it had fairly high miles on it because uh-huh. I could just see it sort of bouncing up and down, up and down, up and down. Right. And, of course, you just put new struts on the front of my car uh, uh-huh. last week, and I was just contrasting how much better it handled with the new struts on there. And, of course, the car had 150,000 miles on mine, so they were getting pretty tired. Right. And, you know, struts are one of those things, struts and shocks, are probably one of those things that gets oversold a oh, lot. Most definitely. It really, really does. I know a lot of shops being what they are maybe they're really not up on true diagnostics and stuff like that there's a lot of work they can't do anymore so they're looking for things they can do right and struts and shocks is one of those things it's relatively low tech well and you know a customer comes in complaining about a bad ride well Mm -hmm. the first thing you want to do is throw shocks and struts on it right we need to diagnose why it's riding bad that's right it could have an outer round tire it could have a bent rim it could have a strut or shock that is going bad they do eventually wear out which is the point i was trying to make what happens with that is because the cost of replacing a set of struts, by the time you do the mounts and the cushions and all the stuff that it's normally needed at high mileage, it's going to be fairly significant cost. Sure. A lot of times the cost is probably out of line with the benefit the customer is going to notice. In other words, if they're not just worn completely out or leaking or banging, it's just going to be a little more floaty ride. A lot of folks are not going to notice that too no. much because the way they drive, if they, if you just go into the grocery store and back in the car, or you just go into church, or you just go into work, you really may not notice that a whole lot relative to the cost of having all the struts on the car replaced. Correct. Now, on my car, I do ride on the highway a lot, and there's a big section of I-10 coming into New Orleans with a big curve with a dip. Uh-huh. And that's where I would really notice it because if I come around that curve, and, of course, the speed limit is – 60 miles an hour in that section. Yeah, of course, traffic's running 75. Of course, they're going 75. <laughs> that's right. But if you hit that curve at 60 miles an hour and the dip at the same time, it was pretty scary because the car floated around quite a bit. Right. And, of course, now with the new struts, it doesn't do that. So, to me, it was worth the investment in a new set of struts. Sure. Now, if I were just putting around town, going to work in the car, Maybe not. Probably wouldn't notice it. Yeah, I probably wouldn't notice a huge benefit for my money. Mm -hmm. So it's one of those things you got to kind of weigh out the cost benefit to you as a customer 
before you make a decision if you want to invest in something like right. that. Right. And, you know, not only that, but some vehicles, when you change the struts, you disturb the alignment, mm-hmm. which now the vehicle has to be realigned, which right. is an, an additional cost. Right. Some vehicles you do not have to, just the, the way the suspension is designed. Right. The, the strut doesn't affect the right. alignment. Right. It's, it's not part of the integral alignment process. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of your Honda products, the, right. the strut is a separate component. You still have two control arms and all that. On my car in particular, you do have to align it because the strut takes the place of the upper control arm. Correct. It's a true McPherson strut. That's where the adjustment for the camber is. Right. Let's take a phone call or two here, and we'll get back to talking a little bit more about that kind of stuff. We've got Trevor online. Good morning, Trevor. Hey, how's it going? Doing great, sir. Doing great. Hey, okay, so I had two questions. One, I heard a while back that if, like, whenever you're about to go somewhere and it's cold outside, you have to warm up your car, and then there was this professional mechanic who said, I mean, race driver or something, they said, oh, no, that's not true. You shouldn't warm up your car because the fluids come off of something, and that could actually mess you up in the long run. So I wanted to know what do you actually do? Do you warm up your car and do you not? And then the other thing is I have, I'm right at about 100,000 miles on my Toyota, mm-hmm. and, of course, they say, oh, yeah, you got to come in and get this new this maintenance at 100,000 miles, like flush your radiator, and I already cleaned my throttle body. I wanted to know what do you actually need to do at a hundred thousand miles. I mean, my my car is running fine, mm-hmm. you know. So just wanted to get your opinion on that. Yeah, two real good questions, Trevor. And I'll take the first one first. And that is, as far as warming up, it's not going to hurt the car to warm it up. You're not going to do any damage. However, okay. that being said, it's a matter of degree. But under anything less than just extreme conditions, it's probably not necessary. Because the computer on the car knows the ambient temperature. It knows the intake air temperature. It's going to automatically speed up the idle. It's going to do all the things it needs to do. It may hold it out of high gear. It may kick, you lock it out of overdrive. It's going to do everything it needs to do. It will disable the air conditioning. You know, it's going to do the stuff itself. So pretty much the car is going to take care of itself under any kind of conditions we're going to see around here. Are you calling from the Baton Rouge area, Trevor? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, any conditions you're going to see in Baton Rouge, like to us this morning, 23 degrees is extremely cold, but to a car, not so much. You know, if it was 30 degrees below zero, I would probably rethink that a little bit, and I might give it some time to warm up. Or in some really extreme conditions, like if you live in North Dakota, you may even need a block heat on the engine because the oil and all gets so thick that the starter motor can't hardly crank it. So everything's a matter of degree, but in Louisiana or Baton Rouge particularly, there's never going to be a situation where it's really necessary to warm the car up. That being said, if you want to, you're not going to hurt anything. Well, I mean, you could go out, you could crank it up, you could turn the heater on and go back in the house where it's warm. When you came back out to the vehicle and you got into a warm vehicle, then right. more for you than the vehicle. Right, right. The car doesn't really the care car a whole care. lot. So, like I said, kind of a, a yes-no answer there, but it's not going to hurt the car, but it's really not necessary, particularly in this area. As far as the maintenance, and you sort of made a really good statement there when you said the car's running fine. What are you going to experience on cars today? The reason you do maintenance is because it is cheaper than the repair that's going to result if you don't do it. You do maintenance to save money. Now, let me give you an example. One would be the spark plugs, which are generally do around 100,000 miles. Now, when you change those spark plugs, you are not going to notice one bit of difference. The car is going to run exactly the same as it did before you changed them. And so you say, well, if it's going to run exactly the same, why would I do it? Well, this is the kicker. You see, when this plug starts to wear, the gap wears wider and wider. It requires more and more energy to ionize that gap. So what the computer does is it increases the burn time to the coils. It's what's called duty cycle. That duty cycle is supposed to be between 5 and 10%. 
Well, when the computer starts to kick it up to maybe 10%, 20%, you start to burn the calls up. Now, depending on what kind of car you have, you may have four calls, six calls, eight calls on it. An ignition call can cost $200 a piece, plus a check engine light, plus possibly a bad catalytic converter if you let it run around misfiring. So you still got to change the plugs. The thing is, if you don't change them in a timely manner, you're not going to get a symptom like you did on old cars because modern cars are designed to isolate the driver from symptoms. So you're changing the plugs to prevent the calls from burning up, which is a much, much greater expense. Another example would be like changing the transmission fluid. You change the fluid and filter and transmission because that costs about $200 or less, and a transmission costs $4,000. So what happens is that filter starts to plug up, it restricts the flow of fluid, the pressure starts to drop, the clutches start to slip, and it burns transmission up. Does it happen tomorrow? Absolutely not. But will it happen? In time, it will. So that's the reason why they recommend these things. Same thing with coolant. Coolant becomes acidic over time and starts attacking the metal in the system. You will have absolutely no idea this is happening until you spring a leak in your radiator and you change it. Then the heater core starts leaking and you change that and intake gas start leaking. So you end up spending thousands of dollars and you still got to change the coolant. <laughs> so the point is most of the maintenance recommended by the manufacturers is already blue sky. Yeah. It is, you're just about causing damage when they're telling you to change this stuff because they've tried to make the cars look as maintenance-free as possible. That's how cars are rated. That's how they rate it on good maintenance procedures and stuff. So you're already kind of stretching this to the outside limit. I would never, ever, ever exceed the manufacturer's recommendation. And in most cases, I do the maintenance on my cars ahead of what they recommend because it's just not worth it to me. The little bit of time I save on that is not worth the possible damage I'm going to incur by not doing it. Right. Okay. All righty. Okay. Thanks. Appreciate it. Okay, Trevor. Thanks for calling, man. Bye-bye. All right, right, 291-6901 is the number. You want to be part of the automotive eye, we would love to have you. That was a good couple of questions Very good question. Trevor brought up. And people really, really are reluctant in many cases to get maintenance done because they're not having symptoms. Right, they don't show any. By the time it shows symptoms, it's too late. Yeah. So, anyway, good question, Trevor. Hey, we're going to take a quick little break and be right back with more in the Automotive Hour. Oh, I had a bad dream the other night. Can't be worse than mine. I was buried up to my neck in the desert, surrounded by an army of prairie dogs, and their leader rides up. Rides? Yep. It's Yule Brenner, and he orders me to eat this huge mound of candy corn. So all the prairie dogs line up and feed it to me piece by piece. I'll never look at that Halloween confectionery the same again. What about you? Well, I dreamed I forgot to schedule my annual general inspection at Agco, and my car left me stranded on I-10. Now that's scary. Agco Automotive is here with the best way to keep up with car maintenance. Get our annual general inspection. You pick the month, we check out your vehicle and recommend any maintenance you may need, which can save you costly repairs down the road. That was a freaky dream. Were you on medication, or did you eat anything strange? Uh, yeah. I actually ate a whole bag of candy corn left over from Halloween. 2014. Oh. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you just join us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldezan, with Mr. Brian Terry. We certainly appreciate you spending your Saturday morning with us and really like if you give us a call. It's 291-6901. Couldn't be easier. Just dial that number and we're going to answer it. We're not going to answer it. Somebody, <laughs> somebody's going to answer it and get to us. The producer's going to answer it. There you go. Put you on hold and we'll get right to you. 
we were talking a little bit about struts and stuff like that, shock absorbers, and certainly it is one of those things that does get oversold. Sure. And there are certain symptoms that you can look for to know whether you need struts or shocks or right. more. You're going to get, a say, a, a bouncier ride like we were discussing mm-hmm. earlier. Most time that's one of the definitive things that the struts are worn out. The car bounces a whole lot. Right. Sometimes you may get a, a dip or a dive when you hit a bump. Mm-hmm. When what has happened is that one strut has gone bad and is not working correctly and the other strut is still working correctly. Therefore, the front end tends to dip and dive when you hit bumps. And that is much, much worse than if they both wear out evenly. Right, right. Because then you just get sort of a bottoming out. But it's sort of a lunging, jumping sort of a feel at the worst possible time. Right, because as that suspension travels down on just that one side, it changes the toe. Right. And when the toe changes on one wheel, it tends to jerk the vehicle in a different direction than straight ahead, as if both struts were wore out the whole front end would dip, dip down evenly the toe would change together right and you wouldn't notice that dip or that dive it would just bottom out and, and kind of bounce along there right and probably even worse in my experience is if one of the rear struts goes out because when that rear starts to bounce unevenly it really tends to make the car jump around right and Bins, it's a rear one you mm-hmm. don't have much control over it as you would with a front That's you right. still have steering control with the front but when the back starts bouncing around, it makes the, the vehicle kind of very unstable. All right. If you ever drove a forklift, the reason they use the rear wheels to steer a forklift is because they want it to be able to maneuver very, very tightly in little small spaces. And that's fine because a forklift never goes over five, five miles, miles an hour. hour. Right. So it's not a stability issue. But when you start turning the rear wheels on a car... It's the same a, thing. It's only amplified about a million times right. because you're you driving get, 70 miles an hour. You get a lot of change when you start changing the rear toe. Yeah, when when rear anything moves, it affects driving a lot more than when front anything changes. I remember we had a Lexus come in, and the toe was changing on the rear. When you mm-hmm. go through a, through a bump and the, the suspension would change, the toe on one wheel would right. actually change, and it made that car very unstable. Yeah, it's, it's really, really wicked when you get one on the back. Now, again... If both struts wear out on the back, then it just kind of bounces around. Right. It the just goes up and down. But the when, toe doesn't change independently from each other. Right. And if you get a little toe change, which is kind of like turning the wheel, and a dip on one side without the corresponding other side dipping, it's a real wicked yeah. sensation. Yes, it is. So these are some of the things. Now, of course, leaking. Sure. If a strut starts to leak, the fluid goes past the seal. But again, like almost everything in the world, it's a matter of degree. It is. Because if a little bit of fluid is around the shaft of the strut, That's, that is not a sign the strut is bad. Right. That is considered normal. Even even if it comes down on the tube mm-hmm. a quarter of the way, that is still not considered bad. Right. Now, when it starts coming down to the bottom of the, the tube itself. Saturating the entire tube. Right. Then you've got a problem. Or dripping off on the ground. Uh, right. But what will happen very, very often is that you may go somewhere and they'll bring you out to the shop and say, look, this thing's leaking. And they'll mm-hmm. point it out to you and there's some fluid on it. The average person does not know that it's not a problem. Uh, a problem. And even so a lot of shops, I've seen a lot of mechanics that say, oh, no, if it's leaking, it's bad. Right. Well, that's not what the manufacturer of the car says. They said that it is permissible, especially... If you're on an extremely bouncy road, that strut shaft is going up and down so much, you may lose a small amount of fluid. Sure. It's got enough fluid in the strut to account for that. 
So it's not really a big problem unless it has some other symptom with it. Now, let's say it's, it's bouncing all around. And it's leaking. It's worn out and it's leaking. Correct. Well, then, well, then you got a better You're replacing it because it's bouncing around. Uh-huh. And the little small leak is just a, a more, uh, just another symptom. But if it drives and handles perfectly normal, there is no other symptom, and there's only a small amount of fluid around the top seal, that is generally not an indication that the strut is bad, contrary to common belief. I know most of your manufacturers have a technical service bulletin out Mm -hmm. on struts, and they show a a variance of leak Mm -hmm. as to when the strut is actually gone bad. Considered a bad strut. And like I said, when it starts to cover the entire housing, or starts to trip on the ground, well, it's, clearly that's bad. Correct. It's, it's leaking severely at that point, and it's a matter of a recommendation for a replacement. Now, other things that can cause or you would recommend a strut replacement, one would be when they start to make noise internally. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they will just start getting noise. Something has come apart inside the strut. Right. There's a, a bushing that holds that shaft inside the tube. It holds that shaft correct in line with mm-hmm. that tube. And over time, that bushing wears out, and that shaft will rattle inside the mm-hmm. tube. You can't tell it until you take the spring off of right. it because the spring is holding everything tight. Once you get the spring off of it, you can take the tube in one hand and the shaft in the other, and you can rock them back and forth, and you can hear them clock, 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 yeah, making right. noise. You can even see the burnt part on the shaft where the strut has been running, mm-hmm. and that's also considered considered cause bad. for replacement. Right Now, another thing with or without a noise, if this bushing wears out and gets slack in it, it will change the alignment, which may cause tire wear. Yes, it will. Again, this is reason for replacement on the strut. It may or may not also be leaking. It may or may not also be bouncing around. But if the shaft is moving in the strut and changing the wheel alignment, and when you do an alignment, you get in there and you can push in and out on the two wheels, and you see movement in that area. Right. It's just like you know, side-to-side movement in the other suspension component, be it a ball joint or a tie rod or anything else. That would be enough reason to, to recommend it. a replacement. Now, there are other things also why you might want to change a strut. One that comes to my mind is sometimes a strut will do sort of the polar opposite of bouncing, which is it seizes up. Right. We have seen that happen quite a few times. Sometimes it doesn't happen, normal driving. But let's say you take your vehicle in to have the oil change. Well, mm-hmm. they put it on a twin post lift. They rack the body and they lift the vehicle up, which lets the suspension hang down. Right. And what happens when the suspension hangs down? The fluid is forced to one end of the travel the of the cylinder mm-hmm. inside the tube, and it will force the fluid past the seal and get on the other side of the seal. And what happens when you set it back down? Now you have a hydrolock issue because now instead of having a free run. That run there is full of fluid, Mm -hmm. so the shock will not compress anymore. And we see that a lot. Yeah, it happens older. Well, it happens on Honda a lot for some reason. I know some of the CRVs will do that. Some of the cards. Some of the fronts, Mm -hmm. some of the cords. It will come in, and it's riding and driving apparently normal. You do a service on it, and when you set it down, they lock up. Right. Sometimes they will leak back down and start working again. Many times they won't. They have to be replaced. And that's awful hard for the shop to replace the customer to recommend it to the customer because the first thing he's going to say, well, it was doing fine when it came in. Right. Well, I know it's just an unlucky circumstance. The shop didn't damage it. It's just was going to go out the first time it was jacked up. He had to jack it up to service it. Correct. So that's just the way that it goes. I know a lot of the vehicles that we see it happen on routinely, I try to warn people up front, hey, this car has a problem with this. Right. And we know most of the vehicles that have that type of problem. Mm-hmm. 
And if applicable, we try to run them up on a flat lift where you lift from the if suspension you if you can. That tends to make them last a little longer right. because, the, like you said, the first time they come off the ground, they're the going to— Chevy Traverse? Yes. I think the Traverse has that problem that also. Model. And particularly if they have more than 100,000 miles on it. Right. Now, we, yeah, we are talking higher mileage vehicles here. We're not talking new vehicles. Yeah, generally it's not going to happen on a new vehicle. It's a vehicle that had an internal problem in the strut, but because it sits at one level all the time. And it never gets stressed all the way to the right, max. Right. It doesn't really show up. And then, like I said, the, the poor guy working on it, he yeah. jacks the car up just like he jacks every other car up. Right. And the wheel hangs down for 30 minutes while he's doing a service. He goes to sit it down. Now the strut's locked up. Right. And the vehicle's sitting higher than it used to because mm-hmm. the strut can't compress back down. And, you know, some customers are understanding about that. Some are not. And right. it's just one of those things. You, you have to realize that when you've got a higher mileage vehicle, there are certain things that do wear on it. And they certain do things. go out at some time. And sometimes they go out while it's being serviced. Right. And when that happens, you can't blame the shop for that. I know... We see vehicles a lot of times will come into us, and maybe they're 10 years old, and there's no timing belt sticker on the car. Uh-huh. And there's timing belt has not been replaced. Well, that was supposed to be done at, at seven, seven years. Right. So this car is kind of like a grenade just waiting to explode. Now, if you want to be the way that, hey, if you drive my car and time belt breaks, you're responsible, then, okay, I can't service the car. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. You need to go somewhere else because I'm not going to make nearly enough money doing a service on this car to take the risk of your timing belt breaking because right. that can definitely happen. I may be doing front alignment. When I drive the car, if it timing breaks. belt breaks, grenades the engine. Right. It's not me driving the car doing the alignment that broke the timing belt. It's you ignoring the maintenance on your car that broke the timing belt. Correct. So you got to be somewhat understanding about these things. It's kind of like our first call. There are certain things that need to be done at certain mileages, mm-hmm. and there may not be a symptom until there's a catastrophic failure. Right. One of those, like I said, is a timing belt. You're not going to notice absolutely any nope. symptom at all. It's going to run just like it always did right Until up to the, the time breaks. it breaks. And when the belt breaks, most engines are interference fit today. Right. So the valves are going to hit the pistons, and then, you're pretty much done. There, sure. There's no fix in this particular engine. It's, it's a new motor, be God, or junk the car. And like I said, it may come as a big surprise to you, but seven years was the limit now i don't care if you got twenty thousand miles in seven years mileage is not the mileage issue. is not the issue Time. although there is generally a mileage figure also there is some cars are sixty thousand some are ninety thousand some, some are 105 some are 120 thousand yeah. miles but the problem with a rubber belt is that it breaks down 24 7 sure. it doesn't care whether it's going around or not so at seven years it's due right and if you push it out eight eight ten right 15. you can get a big old unpleasant surprise I know every timing belt I've ever seen break and tear an engine up. I've never seen one break because of mileage, although I guess that could happen. It could. I've seen them come in with 150,000 miles and maybe five years, and the belt really still doing okay. Every one I've ever seen break is because it was past the years. Right. It was an old belt, and I know the ones we changed. We had a guy bring in a Toyota Supra the other day, and it was kind of like his little baby. He uh-huh. pampered it, didn't drive it much. But the car was, I don't know, 12, 14 years old, only had 30,000 miles. Wow. And we took that belt apart. It had deep, deep cracks. It was fixing the brake. Right. Even though it only had 30,000, 40,000 miles, the 12 years had Is what just ate it up. absolutely eaten it up. Yeah, and it was great that he got it in when he did because he wasn't but about one trip away. That's, that's it. <laughs> I From mean, a it, new engine. Yeah, it had deep, deep cracks in it. Like I said, when that belt breaks, 
That's it. It's it's done. Well, the and, cam stops turning, but the crank still turns, and it's a grenade then. That's it. Hey, one more quick little break, and be back with more on Automotive Hour. the other night. Oh, me too. I was abducted by aliens, but they weren't little green men. They looked more like a cross between a chicken and a gremlin. Like the 80s movie? Yeah, so they take me up to this spaceship and onto this theater stage, and in the audience sits all the cats of my ex-girlfriends, and they're just sitting there judging me. Even Mr. Piddles, who I actually kind of liked. Oh, uh, what was your dream? I dreamed I forgot to schedule my annual general inspection at Agco and my car broke down. Now that's scary. Hey, at Agco Automotive, we know it's hard to keep up with maintenance. What do I do at 15,000 miles? What do I do at 75? We recommend an annual general inspection. Just pick a month and bring in the vehicle. We'll give it the once over and can recommend any maintenance you may need before something causes bigger problems down the road. So did they take you to their leader? No, they made me watch a cat video reenactment of Steel Magnolias. It was horrible. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between tools, we'll try to answer any calls you might have, any questions and you might have. There you go. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, I've been off a couple of weeks. Huh? <laughs> hey. You have have yet to push the wrong button this morning. So. Well, that's right. Well, I had to push one time, so there, I'm, I'm there good. Go. <laughs> there you go. But, yeah, give us a call. We are all our lines wide open. We're glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. Talking just a little bit this morning about struts and really maintenance in general. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there are things, like we alluded to earlier, that are maintenance. And there are things that really are not maintenance that still get recommended. Right. And these are the things that I think give the legitimate shop, sort of a black eye. You go in, they tell you, well, you need an upper intake cleaning and it's going to be $300 or you need this or you need that. A lot of that stuff is just snake oil. It That's is. just something for a shop that, in my opinion, cannot do the necessary work that's out there. Maybe they're under-tooled, they're understaffed, they're under-trained, whatever. Or maybe overstaffed. Yeah, they're just incapable of doing the type of work that needs doing. So they got to come up with all these little flushes and stuff we call them wallet flushes we do and one example is like a transmission flush now you have a transmission service which is a legitimate necessary good preventative maintenance item and then you got a transmission flush which is something totally different that it is you can take you know a service you're going to take the transmission pan off if it has a pan if it has a pan mm-hmm. you're going to take the filter off you're going to cut the filter open and check the inside of the filter for any de- any excess debris mm-hmm. every transmission is going to give off a little bit of debris just the nature of the beast but when it gets excessive you've got a an indication there hey we've got excessive metal metal or, or, tr- or just trash here debris, yeah and this the gets- amount is going to vary model to model and you just have to know that that's a matter of experience it is because what is normal on one vehicle is a problem on another vehicle and so and vice versa so you have to know from experience this is a normal amount of metal in this particular transmission this one generates this and it really doesn't indicate a problem however the same amount in another transmission does indicate a problem yes it does and that's a matter of experience but what a flush is is that rather than do the proper service where they drop the pan, remove the filter, maybe torque the valve body bolts, adjust the bands, things that need to be done, put it back together, refill it with the proper fluid, they just disconnect one of the cooler lines, let some fluid come out, and put some more fluid in. Now, 
what this does, number one, is it they will tell you it's going to change 100% of the fluid. Absolutely it does not. In fact, it doesn't change as much fluid as dropping a pan does. Right. You're changing, if you're good at math, what you realize is that a transmission pressure circuit is not a linear thing. It's more like a tree. Uh-huh. In other words, you've got a pump, and the pump puts out more pressure than Did the car it... could ever use. So the vast majority of the fluid is going out the pump to the pressure relief and dumping right back into the pan. It's just pumping around a circle. Mm-hmm. Then there is the clutch circuit. Well, it's coming off the pump, it's going through some valves, and it's going out to the clutches. Then there's the cooling circuit. That goes out to the cooler and goes back through the cooler, cools itself off, and dumps back in the pan. Then you have the lubrication circuit, which goes out to all the different things that have to be lubricated, and so on and so forth is that. Now, when they do a flush, what they're doing is they're interrupting the cooler line. They're taking one of maybe five or six of the flows. Right. And they're dumping the fluid out that comes out of that line, and they're putting fresh fluid back into the other line. Now, they'll say, well, it only holds 12 quarts, and we put 12 quarts through it. Okay, that's great, but most of the fluid you were putting back in there was just dumping back into the pan, mixing with the other fluid, and then coming right back out and going back out again. The fluid that was going out to the lubrication circuit didn't go through there at all. The fluid going out to the clutches and servos didn't go through there at all. Right. And the fluid that's going through the pressure regulator is just pumping around in a circle. So it's taking the clean fluid you put, it's picking it up, it's mixing it with dirty fluid, it's dumping it back out again. Right. So you're really not getting, I mean, I don't know how to do the exact math on it, but you're probably getting 35 40% of the fluid out if you run 12 quarts through a 12-quart transmission. Mm-hmm. When you drop the pan, you're normally getting about 50% of it because about half the fluid's in the pan. In the pan anyway. So you're doing a better job. Now, some people say, well, I want all the fluid changed. Well, technically, there's no way to change all the fluid without dissembling the transmission. Correct. And the fluid is really not so much the problem as the filter. What you want to do, you want that filter replaced because that plugs up. When that plugs up, it restricts the flow, and that's what causes the problems. When you change out 50% of the fluid, you put enough additives back in there, particularly if you didn't wait until it was totally depleted before you did it. Right. You're going to have enough replenished additives to where the car is going to be just fine. Now, if it's really, really still dirty after you do it one time, you can always drop the pan and do it a second time. Now you're probably up to about 75 or 80%. You're going to keep getting a smaller and smaller percentage the more times you, the do, more it. Times you do it. And you're never going to get 100% of the fluid out unless you take transmission apart, disassemble it, and clean every single part. And that's just not necessary. Right. That's not, not feasible. Not feasible. And that gets out of the realm of maintenance. Like we defined earlier with Trevor, the definition of maintenance is something you do that does not cost much, that prevents something that, that costs a whole lot. Costs a lot. An example might be on cars that have a fuel filter where you can replace the fuel filter. You replace the fuel filter because a restricted filter can allow debris to bypass, get into the injectors, and knock out a set of injectors. It could even burn up a fuel pump. So instead of spending $1,000 on a fuel pump, we spend $40 on a fuel filter. Right. Another example would be a cabin filter on cars that have them. That's the filter under the dash that filters the air going into the evaporator. If that restricts enough, you're not going to get airflow across your evaporator core. The refrigerant is not going to totally flash off to a gas. You may return liquid to the compressor and knock the compressor out. Exactly. So now you've got a $2,000 repair bill to save a $25 cabin filter. Right. It just doesn't make sense. Now, the problem with maintenance, as we alluded to earlier, is that most of the things that are going to cause a problem, the first symptom you're going to have is going to be when something major catastrophically fails. Correct. It's not like the old days when you had points, plugs, and condensers. Right. Car started running bad. You just take it. Got hard to start. Right. You would. Idle rough. You knew. 
hey, it needs it needs plugs. Needs tune up. Needs tune up, and that's what you got was a tune up. Right, a tune up. They went in and screwed a certain number of parts in the thing, gave it back to you, and everything was good for the most part. That word needs to be stripped from the English language. It does. There is for, no for such thing as a tune up for today's modern cars. Yeah. It, there's no such thing. There is absolutely no such thing as a tune up. And if you walk in and ask for a tune up, and the guy sells you something, you are in the wrong place, and you're fixing to have a really bad experience. Yep. Because there is no tune-up. Now, there is still spark plugs on both engines, right. or all engines. All engines. Today. Gas engines. But, yeah, gasoline engines, because they're not on diesels. And they do need to be replaced, but that is not a tune-up. That is a maintenance item. That is at this many miles, you screw a set of spark plugs out, you put another set back in. Now, if your car is idling rough, if your fuel mileage is down, if it's getting hard to start, and you walk in and ask for a tune-up, guess what? still be doing the same thing when, when you, you get, get it, it back. back that's right because all of those are symptoms of other problems generally getting harder to start is because it's losing fuel pressure which could be anything from a bad fuel pressure regulator to a fuel pump going out to a bad fuel rail sensor right to a fuel pump control module on and on and on i can name a number of things that can cause it to be hard to start but none of them are going to be a tune-up right idling rough Generally, a rough idle on most cars today is going to be either a bad engine mount, one of the mounts has failed, or you've got a vacuum leak, a vacuum leak, an intake manifold gasket starting to leak for right. some reason. Especially when cold. When cold. Because once the engine warms up, the computer can take over then, right. and it can comp so much for a, a vacuum leak. Even a bad mass airflow sensor or a bad oxygen sensor we'll or cause. air fuel sensor can cause a rough idle. Yep. Now, what happens is your car starts to idle rough, so you go in and you say, I want to tune up. Well, what you did is you wrongly diagnosed the car yourself, Mm -hmm. went in, asked for a specific service. Now, if that shop interprets a tune-up as screwing in a set of spark plugs, maybe cleaning the throttle body, giving it back to you, that's what you got. You You just spent two, three hundred dollars, whatever it is. Your car does exactly the same thing. You can't be mad at the shop. You did not go in and say, my car is idling rough. I want it diagnosed. Instead, you went in and said you wanted want a tune-up, a tune-up which right. has no meaning at all. Most of the better shops are going to tell you that. They're going to explain to you, I'm sorry, sir, there is no such thing as a tune-up anymore. What is the car doing? Right. What, what is you trying to correct here? And we've had people call and ask for a tune-up, and you ask, okay, why? Well, because it's, it's my, that many miles on the car. Okay, well, that's good. So we can go in, we can change the spark plugs. We can do it as a maintenance item. It's not going to affect the way the car runs. It's not mm-hmm. going to run any better. It's not going to run any worse. It's going to run the same. It's just going to prevent other problems. But if you don't give the symptom of what really is bothering you, it's idling rough, it's idling too slow, it's idling too fast, it's dying when I come to stop. If you walk in and say, I want a tune-up, well, you just misdiagnosed the car yourself, requested a specific service that was wrong, and you got what you paid for. Correct. So you still got the same problem. So that's not what you want to do. You want to go in, give the symptom, and allow the shop to diagnose the problem. Hey, let's go back to our phone lines. We've got Tim online. Good morning, Tim. Good morning. It's Tim in uh, Minnesota here. Hey, Tim. How you doing? I'm doing, doing great, great, sir. Good. Hey, I thought of you guys this week. I went snowmobiling with a buddy. Uh-huh. It's about 30 degrees below zero. That's wow. <laughs> Holly. Yeah. The wind chill is, is in the 60s. But anyway, my buddy and I got back after snowmobiling mm-hmm. for four hours, and he could open the door, but the car didn't recognize his key fob. Okay. And, and so he sat there for 20 minutes rubbing on it and blowing on it, and finally it, it worked. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought of you, and I thought, oh, my God, he'd probably say, 
bunch of bells and whistles, yeah, 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 yeah. And I thought, you know, is there some groundswell of people where they're saying, you know, I, I love this car, but, boy, I hate to twist, you know, that key. I want to push. Mm-hmm. And I, what I don't get, it's the technology, and, you know, it, he's lucky. It could have been worse. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I just thought it's a bell and whistle that we just uh, <laughs> don't really need. Yeah, you're exactly right, Tim. Yeah. And, you know, some things, I guess some people like them, and – I don't There's, so much mind all the technology. They would just give you a choice, and they say, okay, if you want this, it's available. It costs this much. You buy it. But guys like me, I don't want all that stuff. No. I don't want to have to learn how to use it. I don't want to pay to maintain it, but it's in there. You just, you know, lady I was talking to this weekend at the Allen Edmonds store where I buy shoes, and she just bought a new car. And she says, what well, has all these things? I really didn't want all that, but the salesman said, hey, they all got it. It just comes on it. It's, it's just in there. And you yep. just just don't have a choice anymore. Well, I mean, the, the key thing, that's new technology for them. There's only so many key code combinations you can use. So by going with the technical electronic part of it, there's so many more security yeah. features they can use now. But, I mean, what's happened with security is that we have secured the cars now to a point. Where we that, can't even use them. Well, that an average <laughs> thug can't steal them anymore. So what he does is puts a gun in your face and give me a car. Right. <laughs> so we create a bigger problem. <laughs> used, used be at, least, of, at least they snuck in at night and did it when you wasn't there. <laughs> exactly. The law of unintended consequences. Hey, guys. Well, thanks a lot. I'll let you go. I love your show, and I tell everybody about it. Well, great. Well, thank Tim, you. Thanks for listening, man. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, we're going to try to catch one more little call before this break. we got Joe in line. Good morning, Joe. Hey, Lewis, 04 Taurus. Uh, I got the two keys that came with, you know, the Pat's keys that came with mm-hmm. the car. Mm-hmm. And one of them, the RFID, is going out on or something. Can y'all make those? Yes. Okay. Well, you got to get the blank, yeah. and you have to be programmed. Yeah. Uh, that's all basically. But pro- it's not a clone key. It's a program key. Correct. So, uh, you have to okay. program the car, and you have to, Joe, have all the keys there right, when you program any one. Well, I programmed some before. They were cheap junk, you know, mm-hmm. but, but one of the original keys is going on. I yeah. just want to be able to get back to the two original keys. Yes, sir. Okay. You can do that? Oh, yes, sir. Uh, mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you, man. All right, man. Have thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. All right. We've got to take one more quick little break. This will be the last one you have to put up with, so just keep on listening. We'll be back with more. Phew, I had a bad dream last night. Girl, me too. I was out on a date with Matthew McConaughey. Well, that doesn't sound too bad. But literally, all he could say was, all right, all right, all right. Still, it's... In auto-tune. All right, all right, all right. All right, all right, all right. Over and over and over. Oh, it was a nightmare. What about you? I dreamed I forgot to schedule my annual general inspection at AGCO, which cost me thousands in repair. Now that's scary. AGCO Automotive's general inspection is the best way to make sure your car performs at its peak and you're not surprised by any major repairs. Bring your vehicle in once a year and we'll recommend any maintenance. We can even help decide if it's worth fixing or time for you to purchase another. My dream was scary, but yours was, uh, all wrong, all wrong, all wrong. <laughs> Okay, are you finished now? Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, president of Agco Automotive. Got our lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here in his co-pilot seat. And we are rip ready and ready to go. That's Just it. give us a call. Glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. And we got Joey online. Good morning, Joey. Good morning, guys. How y'all doing? Doing great, sir. Doing great. 
Yep, real quick, just wondering, is there any benefit to running non-ethanol fuel in a 2010 Tundra versus the ethanol? No, so that vehicle is designed to run on ethanol, and it will do it just fine. The non-ethanol fuel, the problem I've gotten with it, it's never a major, like an Exxon or Chevron or, or Shell station that, that has it for the most part. It's always some little station kind of in the middle of nowhere, non-brand name. And I think you may have more trouble with dirty fuel and fuel that doesn't get rotated out enough than you would with just using the ethanol fuel. Now, ethanol, I'm not a big fan of ethanol. I wish there was a way you could get around it, but... Any kind of modern vehicle is going to handle it just fine. It's going to have a nylon fuel tank, so it's not going to be an issue with corroding the tank. It's got nylon fuel lines. The computer and all is set up to run on the ethanol. So, yeah, you're not going to really see any type of sizable difference. I think you're taking more risk using a non-brand name fuel than you're gaining from the the only issue with using the the non-ethanol fuel would be in like a small engine, mm-hmm. like a lawnmower or, you know, something, a generator like that. Right. You really don't want that ethanol in there because most of the engines weren't designed to run on it right. at the time. An older engine older that just wasn't designed to work on that. And most of the people who have the older cars now have had them refurbished to the point that they can even run on the ethanol fuel. I mean, who knows? Maybe, maybe we, we're kind of turning the corner in america and we're going to go back to some a little more sensible (laughs) i don't know just time will tell and ethanol is certainly a failed experiment yeah my opinion yeah it is it's one of those things that really just never did have a place it doesn't it takes more energy more oil to produce a gallon of ethanol than it does the energy you get out of it so you have a net loss right it takes like a gallon and I think like one or a tenth gallons of oil to produce a gallon of ethanol. By the time you figure the combines and the stills and the fertilizer and all the different stuff, it runs the price of food up because you're taking your corn and you're making fuel out of it. Instead you're of making food. inefficient fuel out of it. Right. That's the problem. You got what one third less energy yeah, 30, out of ethanol? 30, a gallon of ethanol? About thirty percent less per volume on a gallon so when you put 10 percent in there you're losing 3.3 percent of your energy right so it's not a very good thing i think even the most wackos out there are starting to back off on it and i was reading a thing the other day they said all the fertilization of the land to grow all this corn a lot of that's running off into watersheds and such as that so they're creating far more pollution than they ever would have solved they're not saving any energy and, you know, it's, it's just, I don't know, you have, and I don't want to get on a soapbox and start talking <laughs> about all that, but you have so many people in this country making decisions for us who are not only ignorant, but they're arrogantly ignorant. Right. <laughs> they're not, you know, they think that if you don't agree with them, you're wrong. Right. Period. Whether they're, they're right listen. or not. Right. And no evidence that any of this stuff works. Nobody ever goes back and says, yeah, does this work? They just keep on doing it, doing it, doing it. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the answer is always, well, we just need more money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We just need more money to study the problem. You don't understand. So, anyway, Joey, I hope you got the full answer there. I know you got dropped off. But, anyway, we were talking about maintenance right. and knowing how to do the different things. and Knowing what maintenance is What nowadays. maintenance is, when, what is due and when. And, and that, that is, is very complex. That is. It's a big problem because... Not every manufacturer does the same thing at every time. Yeah, and the average person just doesn't have the wherewithal or the time to keep up to with it. dedicate their life to figuring out what's the best way to maintain my car. Right. And so what we did at Agco to try to simplify the process, and I'm sure there are other shops out there that do a similar thing, 
we advise folks to just pick a month, whatever month is good for you, Right. bring the car in once a year, and we will do a general inspection. At that point, we can go through and we can determine exactly what your car needs. You're never going to be behind on any of your services, and it's going to save you a ton of money because you're not going to start overlooking things. In other words, you can start to preemptively prevent problems right? rather than wait for stuff to break and then trying to address what broke. And we have a, a service on our website now mm-hmm. that you can sign up for. That's and right. And what it does is it sends you a reminder whenever you decide you wanted to get it your maintenance done. Right. It sends you a reminder to have it done. That's right. And, of course, Google does the same thing. I think you got Google reminders on right. most websites have that, or most computers have that. There's all sorts of different services that you can do to get a reminder so you can remember or however you like to do it. I always tell people, just pick them off. Right. I like to pick one of the fall off. or winter months. Right, one of the off months. Because during the summer, with the air conditioning and stuff breaking, in South Louisiana particularly, most of the shops are going to be extremely busy. Sure. It's almost hard to get an appointment in a shop during the summer months. Right. You know, you walk in almost any shop June, July, August, even, even in September, September, right, and maybe even early October, they're going to be booked up probably two weeks in advance. Doing AC work. Now, if you go in there this time of year, generally right after that Christmas rush, there's a lull. And right. they're not doing air conditioning work, so they have all the techs doing the work that needs to be done so you can generally get an appointment within a day or so mm-hmm. it's just a much much easier less rushed time and that's what just pick a month whatever it is for you now you don't want to wait until if you go on vacation on june the 30th you don't want to go in there on june 29th right because if let's say they do find quite a bit of stuff needing to be done number one it may delay your vacation number two you may not have money for your vacation right <laughs> And no matter how good a shop is, when they go in and do a sizable amount of work, I always like to drive the car around a day or two. Oh, I do too. Before I take it out on the road. Because I know we take absolutely every possible precaution, but cars being what they are and people being what they are, there is a possibility that something can go wrong. Sure. So it's always better to make your plans ahead of time. You know, you plan ahead. You don't wait till the roof is leaking to call a roofer. You know, you, you... Say, hey, this roof is getting old. It's got a few spots in there that really don't look good. I'm going to call the roofer right now. <laughs> yeah, right now while the sun's shining. Yeah, and, and before it messes up my sheetrock and everything else. And, again, that's a, the, the same thing with maintenance. I'm not going to wait until my check engine light pops on, I got a misfire, the light's flashing, and I burn up two calls and a catalytic converter. Right. Because I still got to change the spark plugs. Plus, I got to change two ignition calls, two hundred bucks a piece. Plus, I got to pay the diagnostic charge. Plus, the cat, which is could be anywhere from a thousand to two thousand dollars. We looked at a catalytic converter on an F one fifty this week. It was thank God it was only rattling; light hadn't come on yet. The left one was fifteen hundred ninety dollars, and the right one was eighteen hundred dollars. How about that? Yeah. Ouch. Yeah. It was at thirty five hundred bucks for two for catalytic two converters plus installation. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's, just, that's that's ridiculous. Yeah, and and Ford is probably the worst about that kind of stuff. Uh-huh. You know, they're really trying to push people to new cars. I guess their sales are down or something. But yeah, yeah that that's, that's luckily ridiculous. this one was just rattling. It hadn't 
restricted yet and hadn't started causing a check engine light or anything yet. So but he was able might. to just put up with the rattle. Yeah. <laughs> when he got the price, he said, yeah, that rattle ain't all that bad. <laughs> hey, I want to tell everybody how much I appreciate him listening this morning and every Saturday morning on the Automotive Hour. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. Tell your friends, get some more people listening. That's right. If you get a chance, give us a written review on your podcast site. That'll move us up in the ranking so more people can listen. And more people listen, the longer we can keep doing the show. That's it. Hey, preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.